Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. Hey, Boiling Pointers. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. Before we start, Dave and I want to let you know all about our Boiling Point process, online courses, live events, and masterminds. After interviewing hundreds of leaders, we've packaged a ton of knowledge together to serve up to you. Info that will help you and your company be heard in a very noisy marketplace. So visit www.boilingpointprocess.com and sign up for the email newsletter and we'll let you know when our next cohort or event is. Thanks also for supporting The Boiling Point by subscribing to us on iTunes and also leaving a rating for us. Okay, welcome back to The Boiling Point partnership series called Shifting the Employee Experience. We are so thrilled to have Dr. Bill Howitt come in and essentially take my seat at the boiling point as Dave Vale's uh, co-host. And the conversations they've been having so far have been incredible. And this is a partnership series that has been made possible by our good friends at Workplace Safety and Prevention Services, as well as the University of New Brunswick, um, really, really focusing on conversations about how we can uh, continuously create safer and healthier work environments. And uh, and that goes for uh, the private sector, uh, the public sector, and the nonprofit sector, uh, anywhere where people are getting together and uh, there's different dynamics of leadership. We want to make sure as we move forward, uh, even through interesting times like we're living right now, that we're constantly looking at ways to make uh, the work experience better. So welcome back, uh, Dave and uh, our esteemed Dr. Bill. I'm going to uh, go back to the soundboard and let you guys uh, take it from here. Thanks, Greg. Dr. Bill, how are you? Good, bud. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We've been um, having, as Greg mentioned, these really interesting conversations about uh, just mental well-being and, and how, you know, organizations need to shift this, the employee experience. And as we go through, um, uh, you know, a time that, that no one's experienced before, it just seems so much more valuable now with COVID-19. And, um, and, and one of the things we're going to talk to, I guess we're going to go a little bit deeper. One of the articles you sent me um, that uh, I'd like to just get your, your, advice on and, and, and thoughts is um, this idea of the empathic or, you know, the, the leader showing empathy and it being in the, the, the title of the articles, empathy, a sign of strength, not weakness. Um, so how important is this question you pose at the start of the article? How important is empathy uh, as an attribute for effective leadership? What, what are your thoughts, Bill? Well, I think it's an evolving concept. I think what's happening now, we're moving from the word management more and more to the construct of leadership. And where it's particularly of interest to me is the whole idea around a psychological safe leader. And a psychological safe leader is leaders who employees feel uh, welcomed and safe and they can express their point of view. They can talk about what's top of mind for them. They They can have some discourse, they can disagree. And they can be a human being. And sometimes what happens is managers that have not been evolved, and 
the challenge I have with sometimes is that, you know, there's no criteria for liking human beings to be a manager, which is kind of ironic when you think about it. We, we promote people sometimes for reasons that don't make sense to me just because they're good at something in regards to their subject matter expertise. It doesn't mean they're actually good with these things called human beings. And when we start to step back and think about it, the, the generations are changing, their expectations are changing, like how I was parented. You know, I would wait a year for a pair of sneakers and think that was my normal. Or I would, if my father said dinner was at five o'clock, that was our normal. Or if I was told to go do something, like I was brought in a generation, wasn't the why generation. Like my children have asked me the question why 2,000 times a day. You know, and I had to learn how to answer why and uh, start to evolve. And as I started to realize that my parenting style changes, the generation like my son now expects to be a last why and have a point of view when he's around people that were my, when I started at 25 years old, I never even thought I was allowed to ask questions. And I think so as our, as our culture starts to change, David, um, you know, with the whole corporate responsibility angle that you'll see lots of organizations now and uh, echo anxiety now that young people are worrying about. And now they're dealing with the pandemic. The the managers, the script's different now. Like you think about today with a pandemic, you and I are doing this remotely. Greg is somewhere, right? and you know, I, and I won't use the line "day drinking" because I don't need you to break up again. I, I don't but, <laughs> and, and that's an inside joke. But I think I think what's what, what's what's fun about it is is that us being able to be aware that right now is a, is an unprecedented time where managers were focused on their P and L two weeks ago and achieving their goals. Now they're challenged with the reality of how to be able to figure out how to deal with all their employees' different concerns and challenges and, 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 and the things that they need support with. What do you think, now we're going to bring our guest in in a moment, but how important do you think as we go through these times it is um, to be contributing, I mean, and, and feeling like you're making a difference, not only in your work, but maybe in your community and, um, you know, and supporting those that are more, most vulnerable. Um, what, you know, what, there must be a psychological benefit to that. In helping other people, David? Yeah, yeah, particularly like at, yeah. at any time. But, but, you know, this whole idea of CSR, corporate social responsibility, you know, um, and, you know, it's important at any point um, mm. for employee engagement, for um, a whole bunch of reasons, right? Mm. Um, and I'm just thinking, it feels to me anyways, particularly now when times are tough, it is, is even more important that to, not, um, to, to not only feel like you're, you're supporting each other, we're getting through this together, but, um, but I think I must have some, must have some, some positive psychological impact on, your, on your, your own psyche and mental well-being. Yeah, I think that, I mean, it's interesting you say that, David. I mean, before this whole thing of corporate responsibility and to go back to the concept and build on the, the idea around empathy, I believe we're becoming more aware that human beings are a finite capacity. And what's fascinating about human history is, is that 
you know, we've had crisis around the world for thousands and thousands of years. And the only way we have got through these different crises is by us being able to, in those times, step outside of the realm of our normal and engage in what I call the extraordinary is when human beings come together and they start helping each other. So when I'm thinking about this whole concept about today, managers today, fielding all the calls and concerns and fears of their employees who are, who are essential services, have to go to work and put their life and potentially their family's life at risk because if they get the COVID-19 virus, are they going to be the 1%? And that still plays in people's head, uh, the 2%. You know, will they will it impact them? And that's going to be something that until we understand this disease, more people are going to be fearful. And as we start to go through this whole evolution, then there's going to be people now community sharing and giving resources. There's some people aren't going to have food in the next three weeks. There's going to be people who aren't going to have money to be able to get through. The, there, there's going to be all kinds of different things we're going to need to do to consider to be able to get through this. And I, so I, I think this is a good conversation because empathy is at the foundation of being open to the possibility other people need something that you could potentially give. It could be time. Mm -hmm. It could be money. It could be energy. It could be words. It could be kindness. Uh, I, we're we're going to need a lot of empathy over the next two months. David. Well, that's a perfect segue. I, to, to bring in Alexia. And Alexia, thank you for joining us. Um, your, maybe a little background, maybe you can introduce yourself. We find this a little more effective than us introducing guests. And, um, and you know, we'd like to dig into this idea of how do we support, you're, you're uniquely qualified to, um, to, to discuss, you know, how best to support, especially the vulnerable uh, sectors of society. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I'm always thrilled to uh, to join two of my favorite people and and, and a new uh, new co-host online to help discuss these issues and help people know um, best how to help. Uh, so, I just a little bit about my background. I have been in the not-for-profit sector basically my entire career. It's it's a career most people a lot of people fall into. That's um, how I fell into it. And, but uh, most specifically for the last seven and a half years, I've been working with the United Way um, for the first five years, um, mostly on the fundraising side and the last couple of years more on the community development side. And now most recently as the um, acting inter uh, executive director of the organization. So um, sort of move through various uh, various roles. Um, and I do think this is, uh, this is uh, obviously this is very top of mind for me right now because we are actively um, involved in um, giving out funds to community organizations to make sure that those most vulnerable in our community have access to the basic needs first. That's kind of our, our, our you know, what phase one is making sure people have food, shelter, uh, you know, access to their medication, those types of things, uh, and then looking longer term. But um, the more I dig into these issues, even with my experience and background, the, you know, the more you dig in, the more, the, the more you learn. Uh, and I'm certainly learning a lot um, every day and learning how complex all of these issues are and how interconnected all of these issues are um, and how one single solution um, isn't uh, alone isn't going to be the solution. But that, that that also means there's a real, I think, um, 
it's, that it's very important that there's a coordinated effort and that mm. somebody, and in this case, you know, United Way is trying to, to help uh, fill, partially fill some of that gap um, to really look at what are all of the responses that are happening um, and how do we sort of get everybody aligned and everybody rowing in the same direction so we're not duplicating, um, we're not getting out of the gate too fast um, so that in a, in a month's time, we don't have any resources left to help with whatever the, the, the new needs are coming down the pipeline. Do you know, um, and, and for Bill's benefit and listeners now, uh, Greg and I have been co-chairs of United Way campaign for, we're coming at the end of our second year. So we've been, you know, very close to seeing what you've done, not necessarily in the times of crisis, but I think there's a story, I think there's examples you can give of some of the way you've coordinated and found out maybe where there's overgiving, um, just in general. Like I'm thinking of um, um, the story you shared when you guys started doing a little of the research on um, what programs are being like overfunded and and um, and then what are being um, you know missed out. Um, you, you guys had a way of kind of analyzing that previous to this. I think it's a more important thing now. But but maybe just as an example, can you share some of the like. Um, you know, like the, the after-school programs and, you know, some of the areas where we see that the, the, a lot of agencies were flooding around? Yeah, so aside from, this is kind of really, um, I think, United Way, or at least in my history with United Way, one of the first times we've really jumped in in crisis mode. But United Way has always been um, the organization in the community um, that really does make sure um, that we have a really sound process in place um, to make sure that we get the funds uh, where the need is, um, and also, uh, again, making sure that it's it's not a duplication of effort and making sure that those funds are getting outcomes that, you know, who's better off, not just how many pamphlets got handed out or how many people came to a program, but who's improved their literacy rates or has gotten a job as a result of a program or those types of things are what, you know, what we're looking at. So one of the things, uh, I think what you're referring to, Dave, is one year, about, I think it was four years ago when we opened our application process, that about half of the applications that came into us were for after-school programs, specifically in the St. John area. And uh, one of the, uh, you know, we, we looked at that and said, geez, there's, there's, what's going on here? Is the, is the need for after-school programs so great? Or is this an issue where, uh, you know, people are duplicating and, and offering? So we were able to um, work with a, an, a, an outside third party to do a study and really look at what is the state of after-school programs? What is available in each community? Uh, what populations are overserved? What populations are underserved? And so this, this served many purposes. Uh, first, first and foremost, it helped to inform our funding choices going forward because uh, we were able to determine through that study that, in fact, uh, in most cases, the K-5 to kids um, were being overserved. Now, there were some exceptions in that, of course, in certain communities where that wasn't true. But in, in most cases, K-5, to there was a plenty of programming on, uh, on the market. Um, and it re the, really where the gap was, was in that sort of middle school years, the kids in grades 6 to 8 um, so that really helped us inform our funding. It helped us uh, share that all, all out with the community and with other funders as well, and with our community partners to help them shift um, where they were offering programs. So in some cases, um, you know, it, it might have meant an expansion of services. Uh, I think the Boys and Girls Club expanded their services to include six kids in grades uh, six to eight at their South End Center um, in a more concerted way. 
Um, so, it, and also um, it has, uh, there were other, other things that came out of that report, uh, things around the role of uh, food in schools and that kind of led to other projects that we, that we worked on in the, that I worked on in the last couple of years. But yeah, those are the types of things that we're trying to step back and take big picture. So United Way's always done that. Uh, look at who's doing what, who's best equipped to, 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 is there somebody in the community who's better to do that? Let's not start a new, uh, you know, a, a new program if somebody else is already running that. Um, and let's, co let's collaborate and, and United Way, you know, tries as best we can to bring the parties together that would be best um, to collaborate on, on projects together rather than recreating and reinventing the wheel. Love it. Yeah. So I'm listening to you and I'm, and I'm listening to your, sounds like your organization is starting to use the word. This is one of our first times dealing with a crisis. Not exactly going to get it correct. I'm sure. When you start to looking at your deployment, just curious, if, let's say this is four weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, 16 weeks. How does that impact what your organization is going to do and mobilize and how are you guys contingency planning what the social impact could potentially be in regards to what role you can play to support like you can't solve everything so yeah. i'm assuming you're picking a couple things you're going to try to focus on yeah so for us i think that, that that's a great question i think for us the um where the united way because we have been in the community so ingrained in the community sector with all of our community partners um and we you know, we work with people both that we fund and people that we don't fund. Um, so in this, in this particular situation, um, this is very separate. The work that we're doing right now is very separate from the regular United Way work that we do. That's kind of all um, continuing to run on the side um, to support those, those programs going forward, especially once we get through this and be able to bring our community back together. But this um, emergency response side is really, we created a fund uh, in collaboration with the other 10 United Ways in Atlantic Canada. So it really is about uh, also about collaboration uh, on the, on the Atlant Atlantic scene. Um, so that fund's called the Atlantic Compassion Fund and was kicked off with a really generous donor who's matching the first $100,000 of donations. That's uh, Tom Rose from Atlantic Business Interiors. And since then, Amera has thrown 500000 uh, $500, into that fund as well. Um, and as well as um, there has been some government um, funding being given out through, um, through that fund. So for us, um, to, to get back to your question, sorry, I got off on a tangent, but to get, to get back to your question on how do we respond, the needs, and if you look at what's happening in my inbox, it's a scary place because things are changing and evolving as we go. But the most critical thing for United Way is um, to carve off what, like you said, we're trying to fill the gaps. So the government is there. Uh, the federal government is helping to provide, for example, um, extra funding to shelters and uh, the provincial government, our local provincial government as well has been very involved in, in helping uh, shelters make sure that they have what they need to protect both their staff and their clients. <clears throat> um, and the government is also working on a coordinated food response. So United Way, where does United Way fit into that? And the money that we're investing through the Atlantic Compassion Fund is really filling in those gaps. So in some cases, it doesn't mean that we aren't um, supporting things around food and shelters, uh, but we're filling, it may mean that we're um, 
you know, providing some funding to a shelter because they have an immediate need today and the, they aren't going to be able to get the money from the feds until, you know, next Wednesday. Or it could be uh, similarly, you know, supporting a food program that has cropped up, has been able to get up and running really, really quickly to help people. Um, like a, a collaboration of four nonprofits uh, in uh, both the, the South End and the West Side. Um, they've cropped up really easy. They, they're out of the gates. They're running, uh, you know, a really great program delivering food to people's doors. Um, so we can jump in and help with that. But at the same time, it's really important that we're looking at the looking for and planning for the longer term solution. How are we going to make sure for the next month, potentially, you know, two months, um, that we are able to get people that need food, food, and that we haven't just jumped out and said, here's everybody take money, everybody deliver food to everybody. And then in a month's time, there is no resources left to, uh, to fund those things. So does that, does that answer your question, Bill? Yeah, it does. It, it sounds to me as you need to be contingency planning for the, uh, the long haul. And I, it'd, be, it'd be interesting. We were talking around uh, social impact, some of the social impact concerns that you're seeing. Clearly, food would be want to be interesting. Are you starting to observe some different levels of potential distress in the communities that you think that, yeah, I know you're in St. John's, sorry, St. John, uh, New Brunswick, uh, that, however, it would be a community that could be amplified in other communities. Like what are yeah. you, what is your network starting to see? Cause I'm sure you're plugged in a, to yeah, all the big sure. networks. <laughs> oh yeah. So I was, I, I just literally got off two calls. So the call I had at 10 o'clock this morning was with over a hundred people, uh, across the whole province, who was which was on a, a food security call. So that's the second call we've had like that. We're having those weekly. Again, um, we are. So what we are trying to do is share what everybody in every community is doing. What are the solutions that people are coming up with? Um, so our United Way covers Charlotte County, Kings County, as well as St. John's. So we're pretty plugged in in our local community. We're very well collaborating uh, or very well connected with the other two United Ways in New Brunswick as well. Um, but on that call was really looking at the whole province and just having the opportunity to learn from, you know, how a small community in Bucktush is responding to this. And is that something that we can scale? You know, they're, they're using their dial-a-ride service to help deliver food from the food bank. Well, how do we how do we scale that across the province and how do we put those things in place? And not, again, it's about not creating, uh, not recreating the wheel. If somebody else has already built the process, then we can share those things across the board. So that's a, an example on the food security where we really are, we're planning the big picture stuff as well as learning from what the sort of emergency and the quick responses have been. And then the next call that I was on was actually with all of the United Ways in Atlantic Canada. So we're meeting probably two, three or three times a week, uh, different groups of our, our staff. And today was really around the community investment side and is really um, coordinating our efforts, learning from one another. How are you, uh, you know, what are the, what are the needs that you're seeing? And I would say in general, um, the very first needs that we're seeing are mostly all around food. I would say that's consistent right across Atlantic Canada that's the thing that everybody is uh, most worried about. Um, and then the next thing that we're seeing start to evolve and I'm seeing in my applications is, you know, things around mental health. Um, from, from the applications I've got, again, I can only speak personally, but from the applications I've gotten, we're not, none of those organizations are, have seen around uh, mental health are seeing um, the needs, 
increased yet, but the anticipation is there that those needs are going to increase. And we want to make sure that those supports are, you know, are, are available and ready at that time. But I would say those are the, and the other major, I think, um, need that is emerging is just this need for transportation. So even though we've all been told to stay at home, um, the food bank model, the traditional model that we have is a model where people come to the food bank and pick up their food. And in, you know, if you're a single mom at home with four kids, it's pretty hard for you to get out when public transport transportation has been down to is down to a minimum and drag four kids out to pick up food. So really trying to solve those, um, those things as well to make sure we can get food to people. Mm. Thanks. Uh, like it's, I, you know, part of what I was hoping, I'm hoping listeners are getting out of this is, um, you know, it's, you know, the, the, the huge importance of contributing and giving back and supporting, like there's, there's a, there's a bunch of benefits to uh, employers, employees. Um, I love the leadership showed by Atlantic Business Interiors. Um, and can you mention the, the gentleman's name again? Tom Rose. Tom Rose. Like, like that's awesome. And to- also Dave, one of the other, didn't mean to cut you off, but one of the other, um, I really, I, I won't mention the company, but maybe we, if, if I'll ask them after and we can post that later. But one of the local companies here in St. John that has, is a long-term United Way supporter has actually put out a call to all of their employees because their employees are currently all employed um, and has, have asked them to contribute to the Atlantic Compassion Fund. And I, I will tell you that the best email I got today, just at that moment when I was feeling like, gosh, I don't know if I can, you know, <laughs> how much longer I'm going to be able to keep going at this pace, um, was an email where the staff were sharing, um, when they, when they made what, what, when they made their donations and there were thing, people in there saying, listen, I'm so thrilled to have that I currently have a job. I normally would be paying $160 a week for after school childcare. I'm not paying that. So I want to give that to the, to the Atlantic compassion fund. And there was other people that were selling virtual banana bread, making it clear that at no time would there be ever be any banana bread, um, you know, passing hands, even when this is all over, but that you could, you could buy a loaf of virtual banana bread um, by making your donation. So not only have the, the employees of that company, just responded in force to this. And that company is also stepping up to match, match the, those donations um, to, to the Atlantic Compassion Fund. But I do think just kind of back to the idea around, uh, you know, employees um, helping others and the benefits that come from how, you know, how people feel when they help others. I think people who have jobs right now um, and, and maybe feel quite secure that those jobs will stay uh, probably have often, I think, have a little bit of guilt that they have that. So being able to give back is to, a way to say, okay, like I have this job, I need to be here uh, in this position, but I can still give back in other ways because I'm not driving my car to work every day. So I don't have big gas bills. I'm not eating out. I'm not traveling. Um, so those who can help, um, are, are helping, you know, that's, that's what we're, you know, what we're seeing. And I, I do think it helps people's, uh, mental states feel better, uh, and not guilty about being one of the lucky ones that still has a job and a paycheck during this, you know, this unprecedented time in our history. I really hope they, they, they feel comfortable, um, sharing what they're doing and who they are because, um, um, I think we need, that's the kind of leadership that really, I mean, it's, it can be, that, that can be contagious, right? Yeah. It's, well, it's, I think they shared it on, I think we shared it on Facebook. So it's St. John Energy. 
Oh, there we go. Well, yeah. Great. Oh, Ray. Amazing Ray organization. Yeah, I'm Love pretty that. sure they shared on Facebook already. So it's awesome. Uh, yeah. There you go. Well, you know what? Uh, better to, to, to ask for forgiveness than permission That's in this right. case, right? So, um, and, and the other thing, Bill, that I wanted people to, to be aware of is that, um, you know, that, that this is a time we need to step up, those of us that can and, and, and contribute and give um, and support others. Um, and um, there's, there's organizations like the United Way who take a very pragmatic approach to, you know, who needs what and when. Um, and I've always appreciated about the United Way. So I guess I just think you're the United Way is being a really good role model in, in how um, using coordinated efforts um, to, to reach the most vulnerable. And, and sometimes the most vulnerable aren't the ones we think they are. Um, you know, and that's why I thought that example of the food pro after school programs being over, um, you know, be, you know, recognized being over um, contributed to, you know, means people that some people are missing out. So the United Way has an, a way of do that. Just so to me, they're, they're kind of my go to professionals around, hey, what do we how can we help? And what's the best way to help? Yeah. And I think one of the things I've been, I, I mentioned this, I think earlier, but one of the messages I've been trying to get out as companies are reaching out to me to say, okay, you know, what can we do um, is although there is, there are um, urgent and, uh, and basic needs that need to be met right now. But as I think, you know, Bill said that this is a long game. This is a marathon, right? It's not a sprint. Um, and we need to make sure that we just, we just take a pause <laughs> And, and look at, and look at the whole picture and make sure that we're making those, those investments in the best places and, and giving those donations to the, in, in, in the best way that we can in that sort of coordinated way. And again, you know, that's part of the role that, um, that United Way is playing. But if we just, you know, if we just jump in, we might be supporting something that isn't the best solution. And there's a, you know, a, a much better solution next door. Um, and that's kind of the role that we're trying to, to play to help triage those things. And, and again, right. Uh, maybe we're funding those things in the short term until we can get to those better, more coordinated effort solutions. Um, as we wrap up, um, I think it's important to, to, for folks to know how to learn more about the compassion fund. Yep. So they can go to our website, which is uh, uh, unitedwaystjohn.com and it's forward slash COVID-19. And the information is there and the link to give, or they can call um, our office directly, 658-1212, and Gina would be happy to process their donations for them. And that would be an area code of 506. 506, that's right. Um, excellent. Well, um, Alexia, like I just so appreciate you, what you guys are doing, and um, you know, and the leadership you, you've always shown as an organization, <laughs> and you in particular, and I guess we, we've been talking about in, in other interviews about just the mental stress and just the importance of uh, taking care of our leaders um, and, and supporting each other. So I'm, I'm hoping you're finding that you got a lot of support out there. It sounds well, like my, 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 my smoothie that I was drinking was just made by my 18 year old daughter. So <laughs> I'm, I have great family support, <laughs> Good. Good. but I also have really great, um, you know, really great support and community United way has never, and never plans to make these decisions um, around funding or any other decisions in isolation. So, you know, I am working in concert with Living SJ, with the vibrant communities in Charlotte County and the Sussex Wellness Network and uh, the community, the St. John um, 
community foundation, you know, we're all working together because that is the only way we are going to get through this, you know, from a United Way perspective and from a greater community perspective is if we all come together um, and, and, and get through it together and help one another. And I am 100% confident because I know this is a caring and strong community that we will, uh, we will weather this storm together and that people will rise um, to, the, to the challenge to help their, their neighbor, their friend, or even that person that they don't know that needs help. So, Well said. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks. <laughs> um, keep us posted. We will, I think we're, we're going to try to get this up sooner than later, Alexia, and okay. um, really appreciate your, your thoughts. And I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to make the introduction between you and, and uh, Bill. And by the way, there's a lot of resources that Bill's making available that um, we should send your, your way and, you know, to the nonprofit sector. That'd be great. Yeah, I am happy to share, spread uh, any information along. Again, most of my nonprofits don't have, the ones that are working on the essential services don't have a lot of uh, resources and time to figure stuff out. So we're trying to, you know, get them as much stuff as they can to help. Yeah, right on. Okay. Um, All right. Well, we're, well, so, you know, I know this was uh, relatively short notice, but you jumped right on. Um, (laughs) You can hear the, can you hear the passion in her voice, Bill? (laughs) <laughs> oh yes 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 yeah yes and, and it's amazing because i think what at the end of the day is is that uh you have to pace yourself i was talking to my team today i said we all have to stay with insider swim lanes and we can now we can't rescue the world we have to be very very clear about what we're going to do and why great great advice purpose driven okay well thanks alexia so we're gonna we're gonna um we're gonna say goodbye and then uh, Dr. Bill and I are going to do a few takeaways and, um, and we'll make sure we get this up uh, sooner than later. Thank All right. You. Thanks so much for having me. See you, Alexa. Thank take you. Care. Thank See you. Ya. So Bill, um, yeah. takeaways for, for you on, on, on what we just, the conversation we just had with Alexa. I think it's, a, you know what it is? It's a reminder that, you know, we, we, there, there are so many resources that are out there that have a principal purpose to, support community so i was grateful that you put them on because i think a lot of the times we uh, people are people aren't quite sure who's out there helping and right. that you know what i mean so i think it's good to it's a good reminder that we're in a, a lot of employees now that are going to be furloughed and home and worried about food and worried about jobs uh, you know worry about security it's, it's 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 there's these undercurrents of people that are they're not going to be able. To, I mean, they're not going to be able to run around and catch everybody. But as you as you heard her say, shelter and food, everyone's getting it. That's going to be a priority, and we need to make sure we can do what we can to help people. Yeah, exactly. And and that's that's the really that's a big message that I I'm hoping people take away is is that if if you don't know where to start, I mean, here's a good place to to look, and they they are excellent at. Um, uh, the United Way, uh, probably in every region, but I know in the particularly because I'm so intimately involved with the one uh, locally, is um, is just so well positioned to know what the community needs are, and um, and I guess for me, you know, I, I, I when I, sometimes I, I want to help and I'm learning, you know, I need advice of Alexa to say, hey, you know, maybe here's a good way you can position Vision Coaching's uh, resources what, that other people aren't thinking about. So there, there's folks like. Uh, Alexa and her team that can, can give us direction. So it's just good to know because um, 
you know, there's a lot of needs out there and some might are probably going completely undetected. And, you know, you've, you've been reminding uh, myself and Greg, a few of those um, in our conversations, just in terms of, even you know, the isolation needs and the loneliness and stuff that goes along with that. So, um, well, this has been, wow, quite a series of interviews. Thank you, Bill. Um, I think our, our trusty friend, Mr. Greg Hemmings will chime in and, 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 and share uh, uh, kind of final thoughts uh, and wisdom and wisdom (laughs) and thanks to our sponsors of this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Our sponsors uh, have been phenomenal. Uh, It is of course the the wonderful folks at the workplace safety and prevention services, as well as the university of New Brunswick who are phenomenal supporters of um, our boiling point, um, you know, 2.0 project shifting the employee experience, which you've been listening to right now. And uh, as uh, the co-campaign chair of the United way for the last two years with you, Dave, it's been really cool to get uh, intimate uh, experiences to figure out how uh, businesses like all of ours can uh, can impact our community and uh, how important it is to not forget the needs during this time. So this has been a really uh, great conversation. So folks, if you can share this in your network, we'd really appreciate that. Uh, as well as, uh, of course, uh, subscribe to The Bowling Point on iTunes. And hey, if you like it, why don't you rate it? Uh, give us a good rating. That helps us uh, get to more ears. So really appreciate that, guys. Dr. Bill, Dave, looking forward to hearing what's next. Yeah. Thanks, thanks yeah. guys. Thanks, guys. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to the special partnership edition of the Boiling Point Podcast, the podcast that we're calling Shifting the Employee Experience, which has been presented in partnership with the University of New Brunswick College of Extended Learning and with our second partner, Workplace Safety and Prevention Services. So let me tell you a little bit about our two epic sponsors. The University of New Brunswick College of Extended Learning features the online high-impact corporate leadership program. Workplace health, safety, wellness, and leadership are competencies that significantly impact a workforce. Strength in these areas are crucial for the success in a corporate environment. Build capacity with your entire team with specialized courses through the UMB online experience. For more information, visit go.umb.ca slash ICIP hyphen podcast. Our second partner for the podcast is Workplace Safety and Prevention Services. It's a not-for-profit organization committed to protecting workers and businesses. WSPS serves the manufacturing, agricultural, and service sectors in Ontario, supporting over 160,000 member firms and 4.1 million workers. WSPS offers unparalleled health and safety expertise, consulting, training, and resources. Their mandate includes helping businesses understand their risks and legal obligations to stay in compliance and build a better and safer workplace. You can find out more on their website at www.wsps.ca or by following them on Twitter at at WSPS underscore news or by connecting on their LinkedIn company page by searching for Workplace Safety and Prevention Services. So thanks to those two sponsors for making this podcast a reality. We're really excited to connect with you next week. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. 
Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.